Pastor David B. Zelmer will deliver this morning's well, sermon. Well, dear sisters and brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Now, the best part about having mistakes made, like we've had this morning, is I have more time to preach now. <laughs> Just so you know, so get comfortable. <laughs> All right. Well, this is one of those moments in the Gospel of Luke, and thanks be to God, at least from the preacher's perspective, that we have left the Gospel of John finally, and we've now returned to the year of Luke that we've been in but hardly used. But this is one of those lovely stories of Jesus' first attempt to take ministry to the Gentiles. They have left, as we hear, the Galilee which is really up in the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. And to give you a little bit perspective, how many of you st have stood or driven on the face of the Oahe Dam? How many of you have been on that road? Okay. Have any of you looked north? If you look straight north, you see Peoria Flats. If you look to the northwest, you can almost see the very southern part of the mouth of the Cheyenne River. When you look all the way to the northwest, that's about how big the Sea of Galilee is. You, you couldn't swim it. Well, you could, I suppose, if you were really athletic, but you wouldn't want to. But it's, it's a pretty large body of water, but not huge. But in this story, it's as big as the Pacific Ocean because they're leaving the land of the Jews and they're going to the land of the Gentiles and they're passing over the deep which is where chaos and destruction lived. And in the transit, as they made the journey from the northwest to the southeast, there has been a storm. And that's the verses that precede this one. And they finally had to wake up Jesus because he had been sleeping in the boat and he had spoken to the storm. He had spoken to the winds and to the waves and calmness had come order had been placed on the top of chaos. There had been no battle, he just had spoken. And all was right with the world, and all of his disciples looked at him and whispered to one another, who is this? Who is this that we have in the boat with us? How can he do that? So now they arrive at the land of the Gerasians, and they are met by what? a person who is completely out of control. He's naked, he's fettered with chains and shackles that have been broken, and he greets them with screaming and yelling. He is out of control as much as a human being can be out of control. He is beset by demons as we discover, and Jesus makes one attempt to cast them out and it doesn't happen if you were paying attention the first attempt fails. The casting out does not work. And so he goes to part two of casting out demons. Let's get your name. We need to know your name so that this can proceed. And we hear this horrible name, Legion. And Legion means 6,000. I mean, good Lord. Beset by 6,000 demons. Now, the part that I find very interesting is they all know who Jesus is. They're not asking the question, who is this? They know exactly. You are the son of the Most High God. You are the one. Please be gentle with us. Don't send us into the abyss. 
How about if we go into the hogs? Would that be okay with you? Yes, it would. Except they run down off the cliff and into the lake and are drowned. They run to their death. They will in the abyss. Now, when you look at this story from 2,000 years later, there's a couple of questions that come to mind immediately. First of all, who is going to file the EPA impact, environmental impact statement? We have a disaster of biblical proportion. It shows up in the Bible, right? We got all these dead hogs floating in the, you know, and you know there's going to be an attorney, not to pick on any attorneys that are in the room, wanting to sue Jesus. Who's going to pay for all those hogs? Those were people's livelihood. That's what Gentiles were supposed to do. They were supposed to raise hogs because they could. I mean, I love this part of the story. I mean, how many times has the church tried a new ministry? Let's start something new. Let's go, let's go try this and have it go this bad. I mean, this is like the worst mission start ever. Except, except that the disorder, the chaos, the destruction that has been in this man's life has been put away. And the swine herders all run in town. They tell their neighbors what they've seen and heard. And when they come back, what do they find? They find their neighbor in his right mind. They find him clothed and having a Bible study with Jesus. And that transformation, what is their response to that? Oh, we don't want this in our neighborhood. We would rather have the crazy person. We've grown to live with that one. But now having a person in their right mind and all this that's happened, no. We'd like you to leave. Thank you very much. And so, in fact, he does. Now, I love then the final interaction with this new disciple. He's all in, right? He's back in his right mind. His life has been completely restored. He's no longer living with dead people. He is in the community. And he says to Jesus, I am happy to go with you. I'd love to go with you. And Jesus says, no, I want you to stay here. I want you to stay here. And furthermore, I have an assignment for you. I want you to be the preacher in this community. I want you to tell people all the things that God has done for you. And what does the text say? And the man returned to his community, and he told them all the things that Jesus had done for him. What does it mean when we're restored to community, when we get this gift of new life, when our sins are forgiven, when we're baptized into the faith and promises are poured into us, when we're restored to our right minds? I've worked with people my whole career that have struggled with their demons of alcohol and drugs and depression and anxiety and bipolar, all of that thing that can keep us from community and living our life fully. And I've so often wanted to have the authority that Jesus has in this story of being able to speak and just make it so. But I have glimpsed, I have glimpsed what it's like to witness resurrection and new life. One of my absolute favorite, and I've told it before, and if you've heard it, I apologize right now, 
But in 2011, I was making my way to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for the National Youth Assembly, or not the Youth Assembly, but the National Synod Assembly. And I had a brand new friend in the Bishop of Pittsburgh, and we had become fast friends at Baby Bishop School, and we had discovered that we loved sports, and he had given me this wonderful gift. He said, if you can get here early on the very first day on that Saturday, there will be tickets there for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and there will be tickets later on that evening for the Steelers who are having an exhibition game. I was so excited. And I booked my tickets so that I would arrive at 9 o'clock in Pittsburgh, and all was well with the world until I got on the first airplane. And United Airlines thought I should have a panoramic view of the entire United States uh, because I visited most parts of it that day and only arrived at Pittsburgh at 8 p.m. that evening instead of 9 a.m. in the morning. Missed it by this much. The luggage, my luggage, had gotten there before I had, and so I had to wait for the man with the key to unlock the door so I could finally get my bags out of And so I was so happy when I left the airport. And I walked out, and here was one cab in the cab line, now 8.30 in the evening. And it was a cab clearly designed for wheelchairs and for people that need to live in them. And there was no way that I was going to get in that cab. I was not going to take that cab to Pittsburgh. So I stood there patiently waiting until finally the young man who drove that cab got out and said, sir, there's going to be no more cabs tonight. I'm it. Now I cannot tell you how, how sorry I felt for myself right then. As my mother would say, I was now Mr. Poopy Pants because that's kind of what it felt like. So I very reluctantly got in the back of the cab, and here's this very large expanse between me and the driver who's kind of sitting on this chair all by himself driving the vehicle. And then he informs me we're going to have an hour together because it's going to take an hour to get to Pittsburgh. Well, thank you. Well, so I sit in all of my despair for a while, and finally I look at the young man, and I notice that almost every part of his skin that's exposed from his neck on down is covered in tattoos. And he's wearing shorts and a baggy T-shirt. And, and so, you know, finally after, he starts to talk to me, not the other way around. And he wants to know why I'm there. And I told him my tale of woe, and he did not care one bit. Um, but then as I began to look at him, I noticed uh, that on his right leg there were tattoos that let me believe he was a Marine. And so I asked him about that, and he said, yes, I have been. I am. And I said, I can tell by your tattoos that you've had some tours of duty and that you were in Fallujah. Is that correct? And he said, yep, I've had four tours. And I said, well, how's it going right now? And he says, well, not great. I got wounded bad enough the last time that they're not going to let me be a Marine anymore. I can't serve. And I said, how's it going? And he said, well, I can tell you that I'm really good at drinking. He said, I'm at the graduate level level of drinking. I've got that nailed. I said, well, are there any good parts of your life, anything working? He says, well, I've been going to church. I said, really? He goes, yeah, there's this little Lutheran church in the neighborhood, and 
two of my friends that I've served with, they're members there. They've been invited to come there, and they've invited me. And I said, well, you went? And he goes, well, reluctantly. And I said, well, tell me about that. He said, well, I was laying in bed, waking up with a hangover, and they showed up, and they dragged me out of bed. I said, sounds like a pretty serious invitation. Yes. I said, how did that go? Not real well. He said, if you listen to a bad sermon with a hangover, and I said, no, I, I can say I haven't done that, but he goes, it wasn't even a good sermon before the hangover. I said, but did you go back? Well, yeah, I did. I said, how come? Because they came and got me out of bed the next week. I said, they sound pretty persistent. And he says, yeah, they really make me go to church. So I said, has the preaching gotten any better? No, not a bit. I said, well, is there wonderful music? Not so much. I said, well, then why do you go? And he said, well, there's, there's this guy called the bishop, and he is having all these people come to Pittsburgh from all over the United States, and he decided, he decided that there would be nine cookies every day for everyone who came. And that's 1,000 people. That's 9,000 cookies for six days. That's 54,000 cookies that need to be made. So every Wednesday, all these little old ladies come to the church and they make cookies, and they've invited me to come and make cookies with them. I go, really? He goes, that's why I go to church. I said, well, how come? Well, he says, they kind of like me. And they don't care how I look. They don't care where I've been. But we stand and make cookies in the kitchen. I said, so they kind of act like grandmas, right? Oh, yeah, best grandmas ever. I said, are your buddies there with you? Yeah. I said, so tell me, what does that feel like? Well, he says, it's like all the things that have happened to me start to fall away. And there's a community that accepts me, that invites me in, whispers in my ear. So we ended the trip. We had a prayer together. And I invited him to do exactly what Jesus had invited the demoniac, to go and tell people, to invite them. I said, can you do that? You got some buddies that haven't had an invitation yet? He goes, yeah, I do. I said, I think you got a community that knows what to do with people that are trying to find themselves. When we are serious about being the people of God, to me, this is what it looks like. It was one of those great moments when you know the Holy Spirit's at work, when life is being shared and lived out, when sins, in fact, are being forgiven. That's the gift to each one of us because the turmoil and the chaos that has been poured into us because of our sin has been forgiven. And we're given this opportunity of a new beginning and a new life in Jesus Christ. And then comes this invitation from Jesus. I would like you to stay here and tell all the people what you have seen and heard and received from God. That's our assignment this week, folks, to tell the good news about Jesus Christ and the gifts that we have received. Amen.